Welcome to Cosmos Live. Our host today is Tamara Smiley Hamilton, a global speaker and conflict resolution coach who facilitates conversations on race and differences. Her guest is Valerie Brown. Valerie travels around the world leading retreats and pilgrimages, speaking and writing on mindfulness and leadership. Cosmos Live is made possible by dedicated supporters of the Cosmos mission, transformation in harmony with all life. Visit cosmosjournal.org to learn more. And by Immediacy Learning, leading creators of online courses for learners everywhere. This is Cosmos Live. Today, I'd like to welcome Valerie Brown to our podcast. Valerie is a very special person in my life because I have followed her, her writings, as well as her coaching journey. And we're very pleased to have Valerie today because we're talking about unlearning together. So Valerie, welcome today. Thank you, Tamara. This is a delight to be here with you and with the Cosmos audience. We're in a very different world right now where people are feeling very burdened, very heavy by not only their personal lives, but just the global community that we're all a part of. And when you hear that term of unlearning in the context of the world that we're living in today, Mm -hmm. what is evoked in you? So I guess I begin with the premise that despite what is happening in the world today, where there is, you know, there, there seems like there is, you know, there is just, there's disruption. Um, We turn on the TV and there's yet another incident of gun violence. There's sexual misconduct. You know, mother earth is suffering. We ourselves are suffering. And so this, seems to be a constant uh, bad news whenever we turn, wherever we turn. But I also want to say that, you know, that there's obviously a lot of good news and um, that they are, they coexist together. And so I begin with the premise, and this is deeply embedded inside of me, I think from the time I was a small child, that we are, as human beings, whole, resourceful, and creative people, and that we're we're born that way and we have what we need to to live in this world that that contains so much suffering and so much beauty. I like that positive note that we have what we need and that we're whole. And when we keep that in our hearts, Valerie, how do we what are some tactics? How do we cope with finding that wholeness within us? Because there's some people who do feel broken, who do feel nervous and anxious. How do we help them to find that resiliency that all of us have? Obviously, within the United States, there is a great sense of dividedness, us against them. And I believe that that an important step toward a sense of internal healing and wholeness has to begin with ourselves. And that can be um, a long journey um, that involves both, that involves not just both, but is both a psychological journey 
on, I, I want to lift up the words of John Wellwood and, and spiritual bypass. You know, that the, the idea here is that um, we need to do the psychological work um, as well as the spiritual journey. I agree. I, I have had my deepest inward journeys when there was loss or when there was grieving. So I can, I can relate to what you're saying there. Mm-hmm. And when we think about the journey and all of us are, are on our own individual and collective journeys, your journey has been um, amazing to me as someone who graduated from Howard School of Law and passed the bar exam in 1983, but then um, made a change, took a different path than that of the lawyer, uh, the lawyer who would usually make lots of money and focus on a career? Well, um, first of all, I, I want to say, you know, this is the beauty of, of the long view and being able to take the, the long view of life. So um, there were many twists and turns along the way, but the short end of the journey is to say that, you know, I was very lucky to go to law school and to go to Howard University, uh, which is a historically black university. And I went to, to law school at the time that the great civil rights leaders within the United States were still alive. And these, these figures, these people came regularly to the law school uh, to talk with us about our responsibility as black people, as citizens of the United States. And so people like Justice Marshall, Thurgood Marshall, uh, of course, we read Brown versus the Board of uh, Education. We knew his case, we knew the case cold. Um, but what Justice Marshall was able to do was to impact us with his presence. He was like wow. a grandfather. Yes. Um, yes. James Baldwin was another figure. Rosa Parks, Andrew Young. These were these were people who regularly came to the school, and they changed my way of thinking and helped me change my values. I went to law school to to get out of Brooklyn and to make money, and so I spent a lot of time running, running from myself, running after um, so-called success until I came to a sort of a, I guess you would call a watershed moment. Uh, I remember it very clearly. Uh, I was very stressed at work. I was a high powered lobbyist representing about 20,000 lawyers going back and forth from New Jersey to Washington. It was a very stressful moment. I decided to take myself on a, a, a hiking vacation to New Mexico, I climbed the top of a big hill and uh, took off my backpack and I looked up at the sky. And I think for the very first time in my life, I realized that clouds move. Mm. They move in the sky. Yes. And you might say, well, duh, of course, clouds move. But for me, I was so much on the run I was so alienated from the natural world and from my own body, myself, 
that I had forgotten to look up. Mm. And that was the turning point for me in my life. What kind of connection did that make for you in terms of reaching the top of that mountain and seeing the sky so differently? What did you, what did you think about your life and what you needed to do? I was disconnected from the natural world. And I realized that in being disconnected from the natural world, I was disconnected from, my, from myself. Mm-hmm. I began to realize what else had I not noticed? What wow. was the risk in not noticing? What did that mean in my life? And what were my values? What had I, uh, what had I sacrificed? What did I really believe? So everything was up for grabs. It was as though, you know, a, a, a light switch was turned on in my brain and body. And I started to, I started to question. Yes. Yes. Well, that's very powerful. When you talked about not noticing, we both uh, completed the Georgetown Leadership Coaching Program. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember a quote by R.D. Lang mm-hmm. on noticing the range of what we think and do is limited by what we fail to notice. Mm-hmm. And because we fail to notice that we fail to notice, there's little we can do to change until we notice how failing to notice shapes our thoughts indeed. <laughs> and you have just personified that beautiful quote. And then from there, um, I remember reading that you met the great Buddhist monk, Thich Nhat Hanh. Talk to us about how meeting him helped you to continue to not only notice, but to decide what you needed to unlearn. (laughs) Well, I appreciate the question. And I met Thich Nhat Hanh uh, when I attended a talk that he gave at uh, Riverside Church, uh, just down the street from where my family lived in in Manhattan. And uh, at the time that I attended the talk, I was very much engaged in my big lawyer lobbyist job. And I remember it very, very distinctly because I left the talk and, you know, and Thich Nhat Hanh was doing his, his Zen master thing and talking about peace and understanding. And, and uh, I thought to myself, I left and I thought to myself, what's the matter with that guy? <laughs> you know, uh, because everything he said was the opposite of the way that I was living actually a very wise yoga teacher said when when we graduated from teacher training school in 2000 he said um, you know all of our experiences are to our benefit if we have eyes to see them and that can sound very saccharine very sweet you know like looking at the world through rose-colored glasses but I I, it's it's actually very much what Thich Nhat Hanh Tai says that you know we need the learning 
all the, the things that we have to unlearn, it begins with the learning that we need, we need sort of the, the left hand and the right hand. We need the mud and the lotus. We need the good and the bad. Um, they co-create one another. And so I think it's very, very important that we begin with the premise that we ain't broke, we are whole, mm -hmm. resourceful. And the unlearning is part of the learning. You're listening to Cosmos Live. Our host is Tamara Hamilton, and her guest is Valerie Brown. You can learn more about topics like these by subscribing to the Cosmos Quarterly Journal. Cosmos resonates to the urgent and emergent concerns of our time, sharing transformational models and collective insights of those in service to a more loving future for all. 100% of our funding comes from supporters like you. You mentioned being aware and being awake. And today, many young people use the phrase, be woke, in terms of being aware. So when you are trying to move through this world, and I noticed that you take people along, along with you because you do the pilgrimages to, is it San, Santiago? Yes, we take people on a pilgrimage to El Camino de Santiago in Spain. And you give them an opportunity to experience life from a whole different perspective. Mm, mm. Talk to us, because some of us know about the pilgrimages. I know I have never been on one. Can you describe what that is and why that's important to you to help other people to also experience that great journey? Mm. Yeah, so... A pilgrimage is really quite a metaphor for this process of learning and unlearning. It's actually a beautiful way of framing to learn and to unlearn. Mm -hmm. So uh, a pilgrimage is simply travel. It's travel to traveling to a particular destination with one's heart and mind open you know, to receive and to give. Um, it's traveling with a kind of intentionality. It, it's an outward expression of one's inward values and um, one's inward longing. And a pilgrimage has a kind of rhythm to it. It begins with a thirst with a kind of longing or calling that then leads to a person often not knowing. Very, very often people say, I don't know why I want to take this pilgrimage. I don't know, but I, I feel called to do it. And so there's a kind of a mystery to it that's hard to pin down. And there is a point at which the person prepares themselves to leave. So each stage of a pilgrimage is very intentional. The preparation to leave, the, the, the arrival, you know, uh, in, in our culture today, you know, we get, we get from here to there. We don't even realize that we're moving. We don't, we don't, we're not mindful of how we arrive and the environment that we're arriving into. 
Um, and so that process of arriving, crossing a threshold to be from one place to another place is a very ancient practice. Mm -hmm. And then being in that place. Uh, and very often a pilgrimage is referred to as a thin place, a thin place, meaning that the, the distance between the material world and the spiritual world is very narrow. So the Camino de Santiago is the quintessential thin place. When one walks that pilgrimage, you just feel the, the spirit of a thousand years of people who have also walked that path. And that's a very, very powerful experience. And then the final stage of a pilgrimage is returning back, returning back home, and, and that we're different. There's a famous poem um, that says, uh, I think it's by Joyce Rupp, um, and it's something like, uh, the old maps don't serve us any longer. Mm. Um, the old maps are, are not any use to us. There's another poem that invites us to connect with our inner compass rose, our inner compass. Mm -hmm. And what seems clear to me increasingly is that we are in a tipping point in our society where the old map no longer really serves us. Yes. Um, and where the need we there's a need to do more there's a need to think differently and so sort of you know people talk a lot about self-care and the importance of self-care and i certainly agree with that um but i think in addition to self-care we need to ex we need as activists, as people, as um, to consider what is the next bridge that we have to, to make from here to there. Um, how do we, you know, how do we bridge this, this gap, this divide that we have in society? So many times when we think of a bridge, we think of a bridge we have to cross. Mm -hmm but you're turning that on the flip side and saying we need to think about what is the bridge we have to make. And that is so profound for me as one who tries to help people have conversations about race. Sometimes there is no bridge because people have gotten so stuck into stories about the other that there's a wall and not a bridge. So what you remind me and the listeners is that we, you started off saying that we are whole, we are resourceful, we're creative, and we have everything that we need. So we really have what we need to build the bridges that we need to build to each other's hearts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautiful. And I think that's what that unlearning together 
you know, it's coming clear to me uh, as I listen to you and I think about the journey and the pilgrimage. And in your article in Cosmos, you talk so beautifully about learning that the activism was internal and creating space for other people to make that journey, which some people won't take because they think it's too long, it's too hard. My aspiration in offering these pilgrimages is that I believe it's part of the new activism. In part, it is a key to a kind of destabilization that I think is essential in a process of becoming who we are meant to be. And when a person takes a pilgrimage uh, or goes out walking, we don't know what is ahead. There's a kind of uncertainty. And it's that uncertainty is very, very important, I think, for building a kind of inner fortitude and also an inner awareness. That place of not knowing is critical. It's critical to new beginnings. And what I tried, what I'm saying, and what when people accompany me on a pilgrimage, that not knowing is the first step in knowing. Mm. So it's the unlearning that becomes the learning. And it begins with not knowing what's ahead. That's a good place. Right. Right. And in that not knowing, that's why you say that that's where you find your authentic self. It's part of our own individuation. It's part of what creates what is genuine and deeply meaningful for us. And that's a mystery. And so I believe that that begins with cultivating a sense of I don't know which way to go. I'm not quite sure. And so um, I guess what I would say is that we, um, to get to allowing ourselves to be comfortable with an unknowing and that feels kind of fresh in a, particularly in a Western culture, which prides itself on knowing on being right i'm trying to figure out when i can join you on the next pilgrimage so just know that <laughs> oh my like goodness if people would like to connect with you and know more about your view of the world or to join you on one of your many pilgrimages and retreats around the world how can they reach you valerie Thank you for that. Um, so they can reach me by my website, which is leadsmartcoaching.com. Um, That's leadsmartcoaching.com. First thing I would like for you to mention again, you mentioned about four authors that I could catch but couldn't write them all down. Particular authors that would be helpful for our readers to take a look at at the close of this podcast. Of course, we know um, Thich Nhat Hanh. The other you mentioned, you mentioned John Well Wood. Mm -hmm. 
anyone else that you might throw out to the audience so that they can go deeper in their exploration of spirituality or this concept of unlearning? Oh, absolutely. There's so many people, um, but just to, you know, to, to throw out just a couple of names, William Bridges has written a classic book called Transitions. Oh, yes. That's a very important book. Uh, obviously the work of Carl Jung and individuation process, the shadow process, Robert Augustus Masters, has done a lot of work on shadow. Uh, Parker Palmer has oh, yeah. worked on the inner teacher. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, his work on building beloved community and what that means. Um, I would also shout out for Alice Walker, uh, for Nelson Mandela's work, There for just so, so many people, people of color who have done loads on this topic. Um, just to begin with, Maricela Gomez, a dear friend who's written on the topic of spiritual bypass. She blogs for Huffington Post. Uh, Cara Jewel Lingo is another person that I would highly recommend. So there are many folks. And then finally, Valerie, if there are just three, one, two, or three takeaways that our listeners should hold near and dear to their hearts, what would you share at the end, those three kernels that they can hold on to in this quest for the unlearning together? So number one, I would say is to internalize the belief that, that within your bones, that you are already whole, resourceful, and creative. Mm -hmm. Second, that we are in this together, that we are both, this is both an individual and a collective action is, is needed, is required within our society. And the third thing I would say is that this process of unlearning is continuous. And the goal is not the outcome itself but the journey of, of the, the process of becoming who we already are. And that means trusting our heart and working with our hands to create the beloved community. Wow, Valerie, thank you so much. It has been such an honor to spend this time with you. I know that our listeners have been enriched by your voice and by your wisdom. And I look forward to talking with you again in the very near future. And to the audience around the world, our global community, thank you so much for listening. And this is Tamara Smiley Hamilton, your host for today at Cosmos Live. You have been listening to Cosmos Live. To learn more, visit www dot cosmosjournal.org. Thank you for supporting Cosmos, transformation in harmony with all life.